Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me, if you would, today to Romans chapter 14, and we'll just see where we go and how we get there. Romans chapter 14. Uh, this wonderful inheritance that belongs to us. It's not, we don't have to earn it. We just receive this wonderful gift of our inheritance. But to experience it, we have to have a renewed mind. We have to know what our inheritance contains. And it's only the renewed mind that is laying hold of and understanding what's contained in the wealth of our inheritance. And uh, I want you to see part of our inheritance is Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. Because so much of the time when we think of inheritance, and it's true, uh, prosperity belongs to us. Things that we can tangibly feel become ours because we have such a rich supply. That when we need a home, God blesses us. When we need when we need provision, God blesses us. When we need jobs, He blesses us with those things. And that is part of our inheritance. But I want you to look at part of our inheritance here, Romans fourteen, verse seventeen, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace. And joy in the Holy Ghost. That is part of our inheritance. Right standing with God. And because we're right with God, we can change things around us. The Bible talks about bearing fruits of righteousness. Well, what does that mean, bearing fruits of righteousness? Well, the word says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. If we weren't righteous, we couldn't come boldly to the throne of grace. And so we're invited, come boldly to the throne of grace so you can lay hold of help. And because of that, we can bear fruit. It should be evident that we're, that we've been occupying our place at the throne. It should be evident in our homes. It should be evident in our lives in our bodies, but if we don't have our minds renewed to the, to the thing, to the truth that we belong at the throne, that's, we belong there. We have an audience with the throne. And when people don't renew their minds to that, they live a less than life. They live difficulties that could have been bypassed just due to wrong thinking. Well, here this verse tells us that the flow of the Holy Ghost is righteousness, peace, and joy. In the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is in that. He's in that flow. The kingdom of God is not just natural things. It's this inner forces of our righteousness, our peace, our joy. And um, we have to realize that the more we renew our minds, the more we can experience 
what the kingdom within us produces. Isn't that what Jesus said? The kingdom of God is in you. Righteousness is in you. Peace is in you. Joy is in you. And it takes a renewed mind to draw out what is in you. Because without the renewed mind, you'll just leave it in you. But it's in you so that it can come out of you and change situations around you. Amen. And give you the best kind of life. The best kind of life. And I don't care how much we pray in the Holy Ghost. I don't care how much we say we have Bible verses that we confess. If we're not living a life of joy and peace, we're out of the flow of the Holy Ghost. If we let go of our peace, if we let go of our joy, if our joy level dips, we're out of the flow of the Holy Ghost no matter how much you pray in tongues. And I'm not diminishing speaking in tongues. I'm saying that when we are letting the kingdom of God dominate in us, there is a predictable flow for our life and it's peace and joy and righteousness. Amen. This is the lifestyle of the renewed mind. I said, this is the joy, the, 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 the lifestyle of the renewed mind. And if we aren't living this life of righteousness, peace, and joy then we're not being true to the kingdom that's in us and we're living like double agents. Not being true to the kingdom that we really represent. Praise the Lord. Don't settle for anything less than a a peaceful life, a joyful life, knowing you're right with God and coming boldly and taking your place. That's that's the behavior of a renewed mind. When people have a poor self-image, What do they lack? A better self-image? No, they lack a renewed mind. When people uh, don't take their place or rely on someone else's faith or rely on someone else to get them through difficulties, it's not so much always that they lack faith. They lack a renewed mind. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now turn with me, if you would, um, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. One of the most outstanding characteristics of a renewed mind is you will have a disciplined thought life. This is huge. If um, someone invites you to their home and you had young children... And you did not discipline your young children. And you take them to people's home. They touch what they ought not touch. They sit on what they ought not sit on. They go places they ought not go. And then people don't invite you anymore. <laughs> when I was growing up, my mother, there were locations in our home because there were four children in the home. And there were locations you were not permitted in. You could not walk in her bedroom. You could not. In the daytime, she said, there's no toy of yours in here. Get out. This is not your room. Out. Then we couldn't go in the living room because that was reserved for guests who may show up. And mother wanted to honor them by not having to sit among a pile of toys. We were not allowed in those rooms. We did, and the third, the third place we were not allowed was in her purse. She said, you didn't put anything in. You're not taking anything out. Put it down. 
She was not going to hunt for things that you took out of her purse. You are not allowed to put your hand in her purse. (laughs) What was she doing? She was disciplining us that there were certain things we don't touch. The renewed mind, you discipline. There are certain things I won't touch. I will not touch worry. I will not touch fear. I will not touch doubt. I will not touch unbelief because if I do, there's a penalty. And there was a penalty with mother if you touched what you ought not touch. My mother was the type she would have her pretties around, you know, whether it's crystal pieces, something breakable. With kids, with four kids in the house, she never, she never moved her stuff for kids. She said, my kids, I tell them not to touch it. I'm not moving my house around just because my kids don't behave. My kids will behave and I leave my stuff where it belongs. And so we were taught when we walked to some, when we went to someone else's home, we didn't touch something just because it was pretty. We didn't touch something just because it was within reach. Worry will always be within reach. Fear will always be within reach, but we could not touch it. Why? Because we wanted joyful lives. (laughs) And if we touched what we weren't supposed to touch, mother dealt with our joy. Our joy was affected. We would be crying by the time, you know. But mother had these guidelines and she had these rules and she had these laws. And because of that, she could take us someplace and not be embarrassed. When we discipline our thought lives, God can take us places and we won't embarrass ourselves. By how we respond to things and we won't embarrass our pastor. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I pastored for 25 years. People would say, you know, Pastor Nancy over the years, why don't we get bumper stickers that (laughs) with our church name? And I said, goes, I don't want my sticker on everybody's card. I've seen, I've seen bumper stickers and you drive and you come up alongside the driver and are smoking a cigarette and you know, and they're like, no, thank you. No, thank you. And I don't want to embarrass my father by having an undisciplined thought life. And this is the, one of the greatest qualities that a renewed mind gives you. It's a disciplined thought life. Um, when Second Corinthians chapter 10, and I'll just quote it, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, casting down imaginations. What's it telling you? You do something with your thought life. God will not do something with your thought life. He gave you the authority to do something with your thought life. And that is the greatest help he can give you regarding your mind is you have authority. So he expects you to take your authority and cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God anything that's against how God thinks how God moves how God operates it's to be cast down not played with not tolerated don't touch it bringing into captivity what every thought not most thoughts every thought this, uh, these words are very bold and aggressive, casting down. 
they're not, that's not a mild instruction. That's a very aggressive action to cast something down. Um, Growing up, my dad being a cotton and wheat farmer, and he had, you know, many different farms and they were scattered throughout the county. On some of them, he'd have creeks and, you know, rivers and stuff that would flow near his property or in his property. And uh, we would go catfish fishing, fishing for catfish. And we would put out bank poles. And so what we would do is that most of the time, at at nighttime, we'd set out all these bank poles, bait them up. And then in the morning, you just go and all the catfish are on it and you just pull it off. But sometimes my sister loved to fish, so he would just stay out there with us and we would just hold poles and go fishing. Um, But one time, uh, we were grown. I I don't know, maybe 15 years ago or so, maybe more like 20 years ago or so, my sister who loved to fish, she said, Daddy, we haven't gone fishing in a while. Let's go fishing. So she went, I went, daddy went, I don't remember if mother went. There were, there were a couple more of us. I don't remember who all went with us. So we go down to the creek, you know, and, um, he, he has this, like a boat, just a little canoe type thing that you no no motor on it, but you, he just had it upside down on the bank. And then he, um, we got out there and he just flipped it over and we all got in and got on to went out to the middle of the water and we're a distance away from the bank. And, uh, my sister looks down and says, I saw something <laughs> and it ran and come to find out, Oh, Oh yeah, we all see it. It's a rat in the boat with us. And we're away from the bank. Well, girls and rats and boats and all that kind of stuff, you know, it doesn't really work. <laughs> so, you know, we just, I did pick up my feet, just pick up my feet. It, it just don't, don't touch me. We're fine. Just pick up my feet. And there was a seat at the front of the boat. There's a seat at the back of the boat. And then there's a couple seats in the middle. But because these seats are at the front and the back, they're closed off at the end. So that rat ran up under one of those end seats because, you know, we couldn't see him. And there, that was the only be- place to hide. So daddy got down on his, because we're saying, daddy, you know, like do something. Because we're not at the bank, you know. And so daddy pulls out a pocket knife. Everybody, everybody that moves with God's got a pocket knife. (laughs) So he pulls out, um, not just a little, he pulls out a knife. And because this rat is now up under a seat at the end, you can't see. And it's old. Daddy was a little older. He got down on his hands and knees on the bottom. And he just takes that knife and just starts doing this. He knows if I jab enough times, I'm going to hit something. (laughs) And so he feels that he got something and he just, you know, kind of placed that knife down and just drug it out. And he got that rat in the back of the, in the thigh, you know, the back leg. And so daddy picks that rat up by that tail and just holding it, you know. And so we get back over to the bank. And he gets out of the boat and he doesn't just like stab it or anything. There's a big old flat rock and daddy starts winding that thing up. (laughs) Wind her up, baby. It's a rat, okay? It's okay to do that. (laughs) Wind it up. Wind it up. And he go, bam, right down on that rock. That's casting down. That's what, when it says cast down, it doesn't just, just push it. It means with force and aggressiveness, this is not coming to play in my life. 
And that's, that's what it means. We're not playing. This is no game. This is my mind. If I lose my mind, I lose my faith. I lose all kinds of things. And so many people let things play up in their mind. They don't pay attention. They just let their mind wander anywhere they want into any kind of bad feeling, into any kind of hard memory, into any kind of unforgiveness or bitterness or offense. And they let their mind play in those rooms that are off limits to the renewed mind. The renewed mind says, this is off limits. I won't go there. And you put a whip in your hand, so to speak. And you do not permit what you used to permit or what others permit. Just because others do doesn't mean you can. Because I want the flow of the Holy Ghost, which is a life dominated by righteousness, peace, and joy. If I start playing with wrong thoughts, it'll affect my righteousness and I won't approach God the same way I should. It'll hinder my fellowship with him. I have to be so renewed to my righteousness to have proper fellowship with my father. Because I guarantee you, it takes a renewed mind to go into his presence and not cower down and think of uh, past mistakes, past failures, what you're not. That if you begin every prayer with a repentance, something's wrong with your fellowship with God. Now, don't misunderstand me. If we miss it, we should repent. But I'm saying sometimes people just are rehearsing the wrong things that they don't come into the Father's presence unless they're recalling something negative about themselves. That's not the renewed mind. Renewed mind knows you're right with God and you belong at the throne. You don't have to come groveling and cowering down. You come boldly. Come boldly. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is the kind of thought life you have to have if you're going to have a strong, bold faith. This is the kind of thought life you have to have if you're going to live a life of peace and joy. Listen, when my husband went home to be with the Lord, I could have been as sad as I wanted to be. I could have. I could have felt as overwhelmed as I wanted to feel. I could have looked at all the obstacles that laid in front of me and felt every bit of the, the difficulty of those if I wanted to. I could have laid in bed at night and thought, what am I going to do about income? What am I going to do about the house? What's going to happen to the ministry? I never let my mind touch into that. Why? Because I'm not going to live my life on the what ifs and I'm not going to live my life being robbed from because somebody exited my life. You know what? You know what? My mind immediately went to uh, God is He is the husband of the widow. God, you just took on a wife, <laughs> and my husband took wonderful care of me, and God will not be outdone. That's right. <laughs> Amen. And those are the thoughts I took. I didn't take thoughts of maybe I'm going to lose my house. It never dawned on me I'm going to lose my house. Maybe I'm not going to have enough. It's never dawned on me I'm not going to have enough. I'll always have enough. Why? Because I don't let my mind go into certain rooms. I don't let my mind go into a room of doubt. I don't let my mind go into a room of fear. Let my mind go into a room of unbelief. And I don't go there just so I can get the attention of what's in that room. Some people let their minds go to the wrong thing because it gives them attention from others. I don't need that kind of attention. None of us do. Amen. Are you there in Philippians chapter 4? A renewed mind is a disciplined mind. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, there was a church that had, here Paul was in prison. There was a church that sent him an offering. And it wasn't the first one they had sent him. They had sent him one previously. And he is writing and acknowledging their generosity to him. And in verse 11, and this is the amplified translation. Philippians chapter 4, 11, not that I am implying that I was in any personal want. So he's saying, you didn't give to me because I smoothed you. I didn't work a, a, a sad story and weave a sad tale so that you would give to me. He says, I'm not implying that I was in any personal want. Look at this. He said, for I have learned. What huge words I've learned. What's that mean? We have to be a student. We have to, on purpose, learn some things. For I have learned. Paul, what have you learned? How to be content. Satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I am. Where is he not disturbed? Where is he not disquieted? In his mind. I have learned how to be untroubled in my mind is what he's saying you have to learn it how do you learn it you practice it every day take every opportunity to practice casting down thoughts to practice getting rid of imaginations that you know what imaginations do they play out a scenario of what ifs in your head you can be driving down the road have you ever done this If you've ever been any kind of leadership position, maybe in a company or on your job, and you've had to address somebody when you get to work, you're going to have to correct, you're going to have to do something. And on the way to work, you're thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to say to them when I get there. And if they say this, then I'm going to say this. And if they say this, I'm going to say this. What is that? You're playing out a scenario in your head of the what ifs, right? So you know what I mean by that. And so uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, casting down imaginations, cast down that scenario your head came up with. Because those scenarios will rob you of peace. They'll rob you of joy. They'll rob you of the awareness of your right standing with God. So Paul said, I have learned how to be content. I'm satisfied. He's not satisfied to be in prison. He's satisfied that he's untroubled on the inside no matter what his setting is. If you're waiting for the devil to leave you alone before you have peace, you'll never arrive. Your victory is not in the devil leaving you alone. Your victory is you being untroubled no matter what what surrounds you. That's victory. And this is what Paul said, For I have learned how to be content satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed. Think of that. I'm not disturbed. I'm not disquieted in whatever state I am. He doesn't say in the good state, but in whatever state I am. Notice this. He had to learn this. This is one of the darkest places a man can find himself. What's he saying? How I fare in here depends on my thought life. It depends on what I allow to go on in my head. So notice this. He had to learn how to do this. Now, 
This is an important aspect of the renewed mind of the, of the life of faith, and that is this. What do you do with your attention? Where do you allow your attention to go? Because where your attention goes, your life goes. People don't realize they think they have faith problems when they really have attention problems. Their faith would not be injured if they get their attention off the wrong thing. When we allow our faith, our attention rather, to go to the wrong thing, it injures our faith. An undisciplined mind will destroy its own faith. Well, praise the Lord. So, uh, turn with me, if you would, to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23. In verse 4. Psalm 23, verse 4. David is writing. He said, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What is that? That's not necessarily only you crossing over to lead this life. The earth is the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because Satan is the God of this world and he's working his plan all around us. And we're in the shadow of of that death that he's working in this world. Why? Because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we're living in the shadow of that, but it doesn't touch us. Amen. Yes, though I walk through. Notice I don't crawl through. I don't beg my way through. I don't cry my way through. I walk through. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Look at this. I will fear no evil. This is a matter of his will. It's a matter of his choice. I will fear. That's what he set his will on. That's what a renewed mind does. It sets its will in agreement with the word. I will fear no evil. Why is that? For thou art with me. To be afraid, we have to forget him. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Look at this. Thou preparest a table before me. In the presence of mine enemies. Notice this. He's prepared a table and he didn't run the, the, he didn't run the enemies out. Why? Because what's on the table is more than enough to deal with the enemies that are present. What's the table? The table of his word. Thou preparest a table, a feast. We can open up the word and we can go to the word and we can hold our attention on that table. And be completely untroubled just because there's enemies present does not mean they have to have your attention. I could be afraid any day I want to be afraid if I think about the wrong thing. I could be fearful anytime I want to be fearful or I could be anxious about anything. I could look at any kind of report, <laughs> financial printouts, Right? And I could sit and wonder, but I don't, I refuse to let my attention go there. And the better, the quicker and the earlier we learn this in life, the better life is. 
So it says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. So many people are waiting for the devil to leave them alone. I've had people come up to me in my years of pastoring and say, Pastor Nancy, I'm thinking of one in particular that says, I, I just have had such terrible dreams of what's going to happen. And it's kind of like a recurring dream. And it just makes me so afraid. And uh, would you pray with me? And I said, no. What you're wanting me to do is to stop the dreams. I can't stop the dreams. What I can tell you to do is quit believing the dreams. That's why they keep recurring. Because you believe them. So the best thing I can do for you is not get the devil to leave you alone. I can encourage you, keep your attention off of what the devil depicts to you. This is a renewed mind. This is a disciplined thought life. Amen. So it says here, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. So yes, if the enemy is present... If he wants to stay, so to speak, and observe my life, I'm going to give him something to watch. Something worth watching. I'm going to make him watch me eat my victory right in front of him. I'm going to make him watch me eat my healing right in front of me. Eat my prosperity right in front of me. Why? Because I hold my attention on what God's prepared instead of what the devil's prepared. Listen, the devil's prepared something for you. But the good thing is, God's already prepared something far greater. And we have no business at the wrong table. Amen. How do we, how do we, Pastor Nancy, how do you do this? You turn your back to him. You ignore him. Learn to ignore him instead of talking about it with your friends and family members so that you can get attention. You don't want that kind of attention. I want the attention that peace and joy gives me. Amen. Uh, We belong to the household of faith. We got no business in any other household. If it didn't come out of God's household, we got no business touching it. When Grant, my youngest son, he's what, 27 now? 27? Almost? 26? How old are you? Come on, sister, spit it out. 35, so he is 26. He's nine years. Okay. When he was about three and four, we had a home that was on a a couple of acres, and then there were vacant acres all around us, so there was quite a spread. Every day, this boy opened the doors and went out and went to a different acreage every day. You know, most kids, when they can't see mom and dad, they get a little frightened and not him. He couldn't wait to get away from where he could see us every day, every day. And he would go to a different place every day. I'd spank him. I'd just threaten him within an inch of his life and, you know, do all the stuff. Take this from him. Take that from him. And it never, nothing ever changed. So finally we had to put locks on the doors that were put like four locks up the top of the door. So he'd just get a chair and just go up and unlock them. <laughs> so then it dawned on me, lock some of them and leave some of them unlocked so that when he locked them, he unlocked them, he ended up locking some. <laughs> Why? Because he wasn't going to discipline himself. And so I had to do other things to discipline him. Well, one time, he got out, and the st- we were having a staff meeting. 
And he had, somebody had left the door unlocked. And so he got out and we realized he's been gone in, you know, about 45 minutes. And um, so there's about 10 or 12 of us. We scour the neighborhood. We're gone for an hour looking. We can't find him anywhere, anywhere. And um, so I said to one of the staff members, I said, have you gone and asked the neighbors? And I'm talking that the neighbors were acres over. They said, yeah, we asked them and they said they haven't seen him. And I said, go back and ask them if they've seen him yet. They go back and they said, you know, we still haven't found him. Are you sure you haven't seen him or nothing? And then the, the wife goes, wait a minute. We were sitting down here in the family room about an hour ago, and I thought I heard the door open. <laughs> Wait a minute. So she looks through the house. She doesn't go in. She goes upstairs. He had gone into their little boy's room, gotten his toys, and went to her makeup table and sitting there playing with her, the toys on her makeup table. You understand? We don't know these people. <laughs> And he thought he was having a good time. And he got home and he got the time of his life. (laughs) But this is what I'm talking about. There are certain things that are not of our household. We have no business being in the wrong household, touching the wrong things. We are to stay at our table, not leave our table. Amen. If we're troubled, we've left the table. Not if trouble came. Because trouble comes to all of us. But if we are troubled by the trouble, we have left our table. Because there is no trouble served up on God's table. And if we're troubled by anything, it's because our attention is on surrounding trouble instead of on the victory and the solution and the help and the answers that are on the table God spread before us. And it takes a renewed mind to do that. It takes a disciplined mind. And you have to practice on the little things every day. Say, no, I'm not doing that anymore. And the thing is, is you need the help of the Holy Ghost because you can get into bad mental habits. And not even recognize that you are the one being the door greeter to all the worries. Holding the door wide open to the fear and the worries because you talk about, I'm just afraid that, you know, you know, this runs in my family. I'm just afraid that that's going to happen. I'm just afraid this going to, you start doing that. It's because your attention is on failure where, where it went wrong for someone else. And then you think that belongs to you. It doesn't belong to you if it doesn't come from God. So you need the help of the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, show me. Bring to my attention what I have let slip past my attention. Um, Where your attention goes. You can watch what you allow your attention to go to and know how renewed your mind is. I was, years ago, I was watching a, um, I was watching a, a television program. And there was this man who was working on a big project there in California, actually. This was in the, I would say, in the 19, like 10, 1912, somewhere around in there. And um, he had, he had uh, been given grants by government. He had had uh, Ford. He had had Rockefeller and all them They had contributed funds to him to build this certain thing. 
and it was going to require technology that had not even been developed yet. So he had to get a, 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 a group of scientists together, and they took several years to develop this technology. And he was under a lot of pressure because he had to come through because of all these people who had given him lots of money to accomplish this task. And he got under the weight of that mentally. If the devil can overwork you mentally, this is why it's so important that you have proper rest because the mind will break down when there's not proper rest. It'll break down when you get under, when mental pressure comes, you better get, you better send that pressure onto the word. You can't because it, the devil will take, he takes advantage of a weakened mental condition to gain entrance into things. He'll take, uh, I knew this at times of great transition in your life. That's when he's looking for an opportunity of entrance. And I knew this when my husband went home to be with the Lord, it was a great transition for our, our family for our ministry, and I knew that if we allowed the wrong thing to uh, be put in place in our thought life, that it would open the door, and in that new season that we were going into, we would have a problem. And so um, this man got under a lot of pressure with work. You can get under financial pressure, it starts breaking down the mind. You can get under marital pressure, it'll start breaking down the mind. You can get under physical pressure, something going wrong physically, it starts breaking down the mind. Why? Because the mind is Satan's battleground. He knows that if he can affect the mind, he can get into any arena. So this man said to one of his co-workers, this scientist, he was really a world-renowned scientist, and he said to another one of his fellow scientists, he said, last night I was going to bed, and he said a being came into my room. And this being spoke to me. Well, what he's seeing, he's seeing in the spirit realm, he saw, a de- he saw a demon. And he said, this being spoke to me. And he looked at me and he said, your attention is mine and it will always be mine. And from then on, he had severe mental problems. So it gave me insight into what the devil wants. He didn't say your family is mine. He didn't say your future is mine. He didn't say your money is mine. He didn't say your health is mine. He he didn't say uh, your purpose in life I'm taking over. He said your attention is mine. Why? Because where your attention goes, your life goes. And this is what Paul learned in that prison. He said, I have learned how to be content. Sitting in the hardest, darkest place. And it wasn't relief he was looking for. I tell you what, there are people who just want relief. I don't want relief. I want victory. I want skill in the face of difficulty. This is where I've written three books on the mind. The Answer It book, the Sound Discipline Mind, the Peace book. That came out of because at seasons of testing and trial, I didn't just want out. I wanted skill so I don't go back in. And so that I can teach others how not to be in this place. How to get out of things. And this is what Paul said. He didn't need to get out to have victory. He had learned right where he's at, live victory every day. How, how, how's that possible? Renewed mind. You don't do that with a normal mind. I'm talking about a human mind. You do that with a, you do that with a renewed mind. Now go with me if you would to Proverbs chapter 4. 
Proverbs chapter 4. I don't know if you've ever heard of a minister named A.B. Simpson. But he was a, a, a general in the body of Christ, uh, I want to say late 1800s, early 1900s. He had a heart condition. The doctors, and it was due to lack of rest. He had worked and worked and worked in the ministry and had not taken any time of rest. And the doctors said, you have, you, your, your heart will not last another six months. He's only in his late 40s. And uh, he was not a minister that had any, he didn't teach on healing. He didn't know anything about divine healing. But he had had people, students that were, he would teach in a Bible school and uh, as well as a church. And he uh, had students that had gone to meetings by their ministers and had received healing and told him about it. So he knew that healing was something that other ministers, of course, had light on. So when he was given basically this death sentence, he locked himself up. He went to a um, he went to um, oh a cabin out in a remote place, and he locked himself up and studied the Bible for two weeks on nothing but healing. He went through and to see what did the Word have to say about it. And at the end of two weeks, he wrote in the leaf of his Bible, "I see." That healing is received as a free gift as simply as salvation is received by faith. So he said, so I receive healing by faith. Therefore, I, I am thanking God that I am healed of this heart condition. And he wrote it and dated it in the leaf of his Bible. Well, there, were some, there was a Bible school that was in the neighboring city of where he was there in that retreat area. And they found out that he was there and they asked him, would you come? And would you, um, would you come and teach in our Bible school? He said, yes, I will. And so he went to the Bible school and he began teaching them what he had been learning those last two weeks about healing. And he took Matthew eight seventeen that himself took my infirmities and bear my sicknesses. And he preached on this word himself that he did it himself. So he got up and he testified to what he had been diagnosed with and what he had seen in the word and what he had believed he had received by faith. A couple of the students said to him after class, said, you know what, you know, they would go on hikes. That they were, you know, out in the mountain range. And he, they said, you know, we'd love to spend some time with you. We're going to go on a hike. Would you go with us? And he got ready to answer, oh, no, I, I can't, because the doctor had told him, he says, don't, don't climb stairs, avoid stairs. Anything that's going to have an incline, avoid it, if all possible, because it put such a strain on his heart, was in such a bad condition. And he got ready to say, no, I can't go climb mountains, and it dawned on him, wait a minute, no, I received my healing by faith. So he said, yes, I'll go, climb mountain, I'll go climbing with you today. So they started up the mountain, and he got just a little ways into it, and his head starts spinning. And his heart starts having shooting pains, and he's got pains all through his chest. And uh, he said, so he just started, he put his attention back on the Word. And he started meditating, drawing those healing scriptures up, and meditating on the different scriptures of healing that he had put in him over the last two weeks. And he said, so I just meditate on those, and I put my attention on those. And he said, after doing that, after just a few minutes, all the pain would leave. 
the head would stop spinning and he said, and I'd be perfectly fine. And he said, then somebody else would come up by me and they'd start talking to me and I'd get my attention off on the conversation. And he said, when I did, the head would start swimming, uh, pains back in the chest, tightness in the chest. And he said, and so I would shut down that conversation and put my attention back on the word. And he said, that was the way it was all the way up the mountain. He said, it was like either a lion or a lamb walking on either side of me. And the one I touched is the one that possessed me. It's the same thing that if you touch into the wrong thing, that's what takes control of your life. But a renewed mind won't touch the wrong thing. And he said, all the way up there, he said it was quite a, quite a climb. It took him quite a while to get there. And he said, all the way up there, it was back and forth, back and forth with the symptoms. And he said, but when I got to the top, he says, I realized every symptom was gone. And he said, here I am writing. And he was in his late 70s. And he says, I've never had another heart problem. It, You say, well, it was his faith. Yes, it was his faith. But why did his faith grow? Because he took discipline over his attention. What did he allow his mind to touch into? Amen. Strong faith, strong disciplined mind. Amen. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My son... Attend to my words. I wrote this in my Bible because it helps me put your attention on. That's what attend means. Put your attention. My son, put your attention on my words. Why? Notice the first thing he deals with is our attention. He doesn't deal with confession first. He doesn't deal with your eyes, your heart. He deals with what are you going to do with your attention. And notice this, by him putting this first, he's letting us know what the devil's after most is your attention. You say, well, he's after my faith. Yes, but if you get your attention, he gets your faith. My son, attend to my words. And then he tells us what our intention involves. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. What you're listening to is where your attention goes. And then he says, let, not, let them not depart from thine eyes. What you allow yourself to focus on is where your attention is going to end up. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. I love the passage You'll remember with Jairus when he came to Jesus and he said to him, he said, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. Come that she may be healed. And it said this, that, uh, uh, of course, he's en route to Jairus's house and uh, a, a woman with the issue of blood touches the hem of his garment. And she's healed and Jesus stops for a healing testimony. Now, you've got to wonder what Jairus is thinking. Right? He's got a little daughter at the point of death. There's no time to waste. And Jesus just taking his time. (laughs) Why? Because when you're alive, it doesn't matter whether they're dead or alive. When life walks in, you get life. So... There, after this woman with the issue of blood gives her healing report, uh, messengers come up and say, don't trouble the master any longer. Your daughter is dead. And I love what the Amplified says. It says, overhearing but ignoring what they said, Jesus said. Only believe. 
Notice this. A renewed mind doesn't mean you don't hear it. It means you don't care what you heard. You don't care. One of the greatest, one of the absolute greatest expressions of this, I love it, is when uh, Smith Wigglesworth was on the road traveling and he was asleep in bed one night. And he was sound asleep, but he felt an evil presence come in the room and it woke him up. And he woke up, turned over, and it was Satan in manifested form. Not just like a feeling. Satan in manifested form sitting on the side of his bed looking at him. And Wigglesworth turned over, saw him in manifested form, said, Oh, it's just you. Rolled over and went back to sleep. You talk about a disciplined attention. That's why his faith flourished, because he thought right. When Satan showed up, he thought right. Faith means you don't change the way you think just because something shows up. Praise the Lord. There's a a precious man, uh, a friend of ours, that he taught at uh, Ramah. Um, in healing school. And he said one day he was getting ready to teach. And of course, there was a time, and I don't know if that was still the situation, but you either had to be sick or be accompanying someone sick to attend. There was a time that it was like that. And so people that were there, that many of them were life and death situations. And he said that right before he gets up to teach, he's sitting on the platform waiting to take his turn to minister. And he has a vision. And in this vision, he said he saw the people sitting there and they had their arms wrapped close around them like this, like they're holding onto something. And God spoke to him because he said, what is this I'm seeing? And he said, they're holding on to their sickness. Listen to this. He said, they're holding on to their sickness. And this minister said, what do you mean they're holding on to their sickness? They came to healing school because they want to be healed. They didn't come here to hold on to their sickness. And God said this to him. What they've got their minds on is what they're attending to. And what they're attending to is what they're embracing. Amen. God was letting him know that though the sickness was held to them because they're holding their attention on their symptoms, on what they're feeling, on what they're facing. So what's this mean to walk in peace and joy and to have a renewed mind? It means you got to learn to let go of things out of your thought life. Amen. There are three things that God taught me in the different tests that came against me over the years of dealing with the mind. And number one is this. The first thing he taught me is any time the devil suggests something. Because listen, Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly. He stripped them. They have no power over you. The only thing they have left is talk. The power of suggestion. They suggest something to the mind, hoping something lands. And that's why they, they'll suggest the same thought over and over 
and over and over. We have a society of people with undisciplined thought lives. And I'm not even talking about Christians. I'm talking about society. With undisciplined thought lives. I mean, I remember when I was about 12, I wasn't born again. We went to church, but we went to denominational church. We did not have any teaching of the word. We never heard a salvation message, so we weren't born again. But my mother was the type that she, she, kept, her, she kept a tight rein on her mind, on her emotions. Just, she was just trained that way, and that's the way she operated. And I remember I was about 12 or 13, and you say, why then? Because I was coming into the age of accountability. And children will have, when they come into the age of accountability, they'll have an attack because the devil sees a transition. And they will many times have an attack come to them during that time. And I remember some evil presence coming in the room, and I could feel it come on my mind. And I thought, and I felt, depressed I felt all of what people called depression and I remember thinking oh no my mother won't put up with this I will get in trouble if I give in to what I'm feeling oh no I can't do this because I heard my mother say there was a relative close to us that battled with depression and they battled with bad bouts of it and you know what my mother would say to them I could be that way too I had those things come to me, but I don't have time. I got four kids. I cannot let my mind go there. And I mean, she would just get in their face. Not really. She was trying to encourage them. She wasn't downing them because, but she was saying, you got to stand against that. You can't just give in and cave into that. She wasn't saved. She didn't know the word. She just knew this, that really people in society were taught that you have to do something with this. You know, you just can't let your mind go. But society doesn't teach that anymore. They give them puppies to pet and ponies to ride. And and they're weakening society because they treat you like you're just a victim of whatever comes to your mind. If you think you're a girl, you're a girl. If you think you're a boy, you're a boy. Just because you're confused doesn't mean I am. I know what you are. But the devil bombards these thoughts into people. And, and because the way people are trained in society today, they just take the reins off and they think they're not even accountable for anything that goes on up here. But God doesn't leave us unaccountable. We are accountable for what happens in our minds, what happens in our home. I don't have time for sick. I don't have time for broke. I don't have time for mental harassment. I don't have time for it. Why? Because what I'm born for is bigger than what's coming after you. Amen. What's coming and attacking you, your purpose is bigger than that. Give your attention to your purpose. I don't have time for this. David Oyedipo, who is a, a, a pastor in Nigeria, biggest church in the world. He has, um, he has a, a building that seats 50,000 people. He fills it five times every Sunday. He's just now building one that seats 100,000. It's already too small. So you can imagine he has university, he has a Bible school, he has, I mean, the, the, the ministry outreach is massive. He's changing the nation. And you can imagine with him having this kind of fruit, what kind of target that makes him. And his Bible school student said to him one day, said, uh, Pastor Oyedipo said, can you talk to us? 
I bet you've had a lot of opposition in your life. He said, I guess I have. I just haven't given it the time to notice it. You are living the life you take notice of. Amen. We are all living the life we've chosen with our thought lives. Well, praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. When opposition comes, when depression tries to come, when fear tries to come, if you'll take these three steps, it took me, it took me what, 20 something years to learn these three steps. I looked for them. I scoured through books. Just give me the steps. I'll take them to get me out of this mental bombardment. See, the devil is an imitator of God. How does, uh, how, because nothing's original in him. All he can do is imitate. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how does faith get in you? Repetition of hearing the word of God. Repetition. So the devil is an imitator. How does he get fear in you? Repetition. He suggests a thought over and over and over. Just because it lasts for six months doesn't make it more true. Repetition does not equal truth. And that's the devil's strategy is say it. And say it, and say it, and say it. And people get deceived into thinking that their agenda they're not. They get deceived into thinking they're going to die young. They get deceived into thinking all these things because they heard it repeatedly and they thought because it was repeated, it made it more true. And it's not. And there's a lot of people that need to hear this and need to know you are in charge of your mind. Do something with your mind. And I have realized... Um, my husband would talk about, he said, every 10 years there comes an attack on my mind. And he said, because every 10 years I come into something more, that decade that God has for me, something more, so there comes an attack with it. And I recognize that there was a bit of that pattern because there are patterns of how God deals with you, but there are patterns sometimes you can even learn of how the devil will attack. Maybe a pattern of uh, how he'll attack a home, a marriage, a child. And I noticed uh, mine would come when I was 18, 28, 38, 48. My husband died when I was 52. Now I'm 59. But when I was 52, I kept having the mental countdown because those were not easy seasons. And I kept thinking, hmm, 58's coming. And when I hit 57, the power of God came on me one night and said, the reason... Those attacks came, but he said the reason you got, went through and got in those attacks was because you didn't have the skill not to enter them. He said just because it comes doesn't mean you have to enter it. And he said this to me. He said, you've gained the skill. You don't have to enter it. I go, oh, you're right. I know what to do. <laughs> Amen. But see, if you, and he said, if you keep entertaining the thought at 58... You're going to have another, you're going to enter another season of attack. He said, you will. But he said, I'm just telling you, you had the skill not to enter it. And he said, just because others didn't have the skill not to enter it doesn't mean you don't have the skill not to enter it. Don't look at how somebody else's life goes and decide yours is the same direction. God's working something in you. And you don't know what others are cooperating with God in or not cooperating with God in. You just move with what God's working in you. 
So the three things I learned through those different attacks. You say, how, how come it took you so long to learn it? Because I had to learn it just by bare knuckling my way through it. But it wasn't enough for me. I, there were the, the first two times I got out of it, I got, I got through it. And I couldn't tell you how I got through it. That's not victory. Just because I got through it, but I can't tell you how. That's not victory. Victory is you got skill. Skill. So the three steps that it took me, all those tests to learn, is number one, when the devil says something, when, when fear says something, when doubt says something, when it says something, number one, answer it. You talk back. If you're just going to sit and lay in bed and listen to it, he'll take your mind over. Can the devil get in your mind? If you listen to him, he sure can. But if you listen to God, you get the renewed mind. Amen? Number one, answer every wrong thought. Answer every wrong feeling. Answer every symptom. Answer, answer, answer. And don't just answer generally. Answer specifically. If the devil says, you're going to die, but you're going to die prematurely, you answer and say, I will not die prematurely. And then you say what the word says, with long life, he'll satisfy me and show me his salvation. And then after you answer it, you tell that spirit that spoke it to leave. Because if you don't, he'll stay in the room and just sit and play with your mind and bombard you and wear you down by repetition. Once you've answered him, then you tell him to leave. And number three... The step, so the first step is answer it. Number two, and answer it specifically. And number two is you tell that spirit that spoke to you to leave. Number, that's what Jesus did. He put, what did he do? Get thee behind me. He turned his back to it. In other words, you're not getting my attention. That's, sometimes you might need to get up in the middle of the night and say, I turned my back to that thought. Amen. And then number three, worship. Worship. Number three is so imperative to you. And the reason is, is because when you worship, it helps hold your attention on God. Worship directs your attention. And once you have answered a threat or a suggestion of the enemy and told the enemy to leave, he's coming back. What's he coming back for? Your attention. But if he comes back and you, you're, Father, I worship you, I magnify you, he's got no entrance because your attention has already stayed on God. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Not just put on thee and then left, but it has to be stayed. A disciplined mind is you determine where your attention goes and you hold it on the right thing. And worship is the best way to hold your attention on it. Can I tell you this? There were times where I missed some things in those tests that I went through. And this is what I did. I was spending hours a day praying in tongues. But the Bible says that when you speak in an unknown tongue, your mind's not even edified. Why? Because it's bypassing your mind. These words are not coming out of your mind. They're coming out of your spirit. But your spirit is edified. Your spirit is built up. But what was happening, because you can speak in other tongues and your mind be entertaining other thoughts. And at a time when your mind is being attacked, you need your mind occupied. And worship is the best way to occupy it. Amen. Speaking the word, yes. And then after you speak, because it just takes a moment to speak the word. What you're going to do from the time the devil 
speaks something and you answer him till the time that he quits, he leaves you alone, you're going to worship. Feel that space. Feel that space. What is that doing? It's holding your attention on God. Amen. There is no peace and joy in the life when there's an undisciplined mind. And it is our privilege to discipline our thought life. And I tell you, once you, once you learn these keys and once you put them in practice and you become skillful with it, not just doing it once, and you never, do, you never gain full skill doing something once. It becomes a lifestyle that you will not put up. I will not put up. I don't care if I put up with it for 60 years. I'm done putting up with that mental harassment. I'm done putting up with fear and anxiety and panic attacks and all that stuff. So I'm done with that. When you decide that and you become skillful with every time, you answer that thing skillfully. You tell the devil that spoke it to leave and then you turn and you worship God and the devil sees that. He recognizes skill and he can't get past skill. Amen. Well, are you helped today? Praise the Lord. We are, no, we are no victim of the devil. We are to be his master. We are to be his master. If he shows up, he's going to wish he hadn't. Why? Because he won't find rest around you. Amen. Stand with me to your feet. Father, we're so grateful for these precious ladies. They're hungry, Father. They're hungry for your word. They're hungry to grow. They're hungry to grow in skill with your word. We thank you that they've taken this time aside to give their time, their attention. Father, one of the most valuable things that these precious ladies possess is their time. And they've given this time this weekend to your word. And we thank you, Father, that there will be fruit from it. There will be rewards from the time they've sown. And Father, I pray that by the Spirit of God, you enable us to be doers of that which we hear. That every single one of us live the kind of life you've authored for us. A life of righteousness, peace, and joy because that is the flow of the Holy Ghost. But we recognize we have a part to play. We will not float into that kind of lifestyle. We go there on purpose as we hold our attention on your word and on you. As we discipline our thought lives. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that you help every single one of us to flourish in this flow. We thank you for it, Father. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.